if I'm a, an unfamiliar face to you, um, as, um, as Quint mentioned, my name is Cameron. I've, uh, I'm the pastor of the Conduit North location, so we meet on Saturday nights at 5 o'clock, and uh, we're currently renting or leasing out the uh, First Baptist Church, which is on the corner of 5th and Church Street, and sandwiched right in there between 4th and 5th Street, and um, we've got an awesome little uh, community of people there on the north side that are growing, that are seeking to serve the Lord, and be in community with each other, and if you ever find yourself in in need of worship or desiring of worship on a Saturday night or if you know you can't make it on a Sunday morning and still want to worship with some of your conduit family, I would really encourage you to come. We'd love to have you. Um, know that we don't, we, don't seek, or we don't see Conduit North and 120 here, what we could call this place 120. We don't, we don't see them in competition with each other. Um, so Pastor Ben and Pastor Corey aren't going to get angry with you if you come to North one week. Right. Um, in fact, they're there every week, and uh, we are we are one church in multiple locations, and we're we're gracious, we're grateful to the Lord, I should say, uh, for the opportunity to uh, expand and multiply ministry over several different places and environments, each with a little bit, each with its own little set of uh, differences based on who are there and the personalities that find themselves into our midst. So. Uh, if I can invite you, um, and, and that's something that you'd like to do, I would welcome you to do that. But anyway, to the point this morning, we've uh, our Vintage Church series, which is a series through the book of Acts, is going to take us for most of the year, calendar year, in 2017. Um, but for this little section, where it's a little section that we've named Pioneer, Vintage Church Pioneer. And... Uh, uh, when we think about pioneers, we think about people who were, who were pivotal in leadership. Thank you so much. Uh, pivotal in leadership in a way that um, substantiated or set kind of like a, a precedent, either by um, example or as a person to follow, or in some instances you understand that pioneer can be uh, uh, like almost a negative example. Right? Like the unpioneer. Don't do this. Um, but that's not where we're going to be this morning. We're going to actually take an, kind of an interesting look at a guy in Acts chapter 10 and 11 by the name of Cornelius. And it's going to be kind of like a, a co-study of Cornelius and Peter because they are, uh, they're, they're communicating with each other here and it's really the story of Cornelius that really engages the life and ministry of Peter, but that springboards the rest of the book of Acts. And so without the story of Cornelius here, without what happens here in, the book, uh, here in chapters 10 and 11, the rest of the book of Acts kind of doesn't make sense. And so it's important that we wrap our minds around what, um, what God does here in the life of Cornelius and the life of Peter to understand the balance of the book of Acts. So, I'm not going to read every word in Acts chapter 10 and 11, but uh, I want to draw your attention first to the beginning part of Acts chapter 10, these first few verses, because they introduce us to the man that is Cornelius. Give you a second to get there. Consequently, if you don't have a Bible with you, or if there's not one in the seat next to you, you can always grab a Bible online. Our app, another plug for the Conduit Ministries app, has a Bible tab on it, so you can get on there as well. Okay, so Acts chapter 10, uh, verses 1 through 3. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. So he's just, Luke, the writer of Acts, is just painting a picture of the man that we're looking at. Cornelius is in the Roman army. 
he is a centurion. Now, a centurion was a, was a man, an officer, that, a non-enlisted officer that was in charge of about 100 men. And the Italian regiment was part of a legion. It was a, it was a portion of a legion of Roman soldiers, which was about 6,000 men. And so Cornelius had a position of leadership. He was a man of influence. Um, he was not just a, a humdrum, everyday, average Joe. He, was, um, he had some clout in the Roman army. Luke goes on in verse 2 to say, He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. And he gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. This, um, this description of Cornelius as God-fearing is a description that we see of many people in the New Testament, or really in all of Scripture. Um, a lot of times it's used to talk about uh, Pharisees or Sadducees or even Gentiles that uh, had or reflected a, like a proper morality. Like, so they did all the things, morally speaking, that we would expect someone who loved God would do. Right? They were nice people. They were moral. They did the right things and said the right things. And maybe even like Cornelius, they were very generous to those who were in need. They, they prayed often. They, they had a, what, what they would call, they, they, they believed in God. They were God-fearing. But what, um, but the specific, um, the specific, uh, like, tag of a person who was God-fearing was that they, they possessed all of the necessary moral characteristics to what you would expect a religious person to have, but they were missing this distinctiveness uh, of Jesus Christ as Lord of their life. So they knew God, they believed in God, they did all the right moral and proper things, but they were missing that little thing, which happens to be the big thing, is that they... The disconnect with who Jesus is for them. Jesus' lordship over them. His, his ministry in their life. And you can see this in an example of when, of when Cornelius actually first comes to face, face to face with Peter in chapter 10, verse 25. When, when Cornelius actually, when Peter walks into the house, right? Look at your scripture, right? When Cornelius comes into the house, it says that Peter falls on his face in reverent worship of, uh, that Cornelius falls on his face in reverent worship of Peter. And what does Peter say? He says, dude, um, stand up. I am only a man myself. And so, so Cornelius, even, there was this disconnect even in Cornelius' life about like the, the proper place of worship. Who do I worship? Who's important? What is like, and so there was this obvious disconnect in his relationship with Jesus Christ, even though he was a God-fearing man. We could, we could rightly say that, that Cornelius was sensitive to the things of God, but simply did not know Jesus. That's what it meant to be God-fearing. You see that he was sensitive to the things of God, because in verse 3 of chapter 10, we see that Cornelius begins to receive some kind of vision or angelic or heavenly visit. One day at about 3 in the afternoon, he had a vision, and he distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius! And he stare, uh, stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial before God. Send men to Joppa to bring back an, a man named Simon who is called Peter. So Cornelius was, was visited by an angel, a messenger from God, and the message to Cornelius was, look, I see you, I recognize you, I hear you, I'm honoring you, but there's something that you're missing, apparently. There's more to this whole story than just what's been going on in your life. So Send a few of your attendants to Joppa. I want you to, to find a guy named Peter who used to be called Simon and bring him to you. He's got something to say. When the angel who spoke to him, verse 7 in chapter 10, 
had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. Great. So we have Cornelius, all right? Now, everything shifts here, verse 9, because we stopped talking about Cornelius, and now we're introduced, not introduced, but we see Peter, all right? About noon the following day, as they were on their journey, Cornelius' associates, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. Story of my life. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. So dinner was, being, dinner was getting prepared. He fell into a, a trance-like state, the Scripture says in verse 10. And he saw um, in this trance heaven opened up. Picture this in your mind. Heaven opened up. And something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. And it contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles of the earth and birds of the air. And then a voice told him, Get up, Peter. Kill and eat. Now, this seems like it would be, for a hungry man, um, an encouraging word from the Lord. Thank you, finally. Right? Release me from the, an attitude and posture of prayer. I can get up, I can kill, and I can eat. I can satiate this hunger that's inside of me. Well, the response of Peter doesn't, doesn't seem like he's really excited about it. What does he say? Uh, Surely not, Lord. Peter replied. It's an interesting, uh, an interesting response for a man who's hungry. Okay? Why? Well, Peter was a devout Jewish man, right? He was a Jew. He had been um, presumably born, raised, nurtured, educated, brought up in an entirely Jewish community. Peter, um, Peter lauded in the fact that he was a good Jewish man, that he, he did the right Jewish things. He had the right Jewish beliefs. He thought the right Jewish things. And so when this sheet, this vision of a sheet came down and there were animals on it and he heard the voice of the Lord saying, get up, Peter, kill and eat. While you and I, if we were hungry, would think, man, this is great. The Lord is providing for my needs right here. All Peter sees is a, like, is a warning. Because if you look at the way that um, it's described what was on the sheet, what type of animal was pointed out by Luke here, he says, it contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles of the earth and birds of the air. All right? Now, if you, don't, if you know anything about Jewish culture, about Jewish religion, you'll know that there's about... Lots of things not to do. All right? Um, in terms of dietary laws, there was one animal above all else that you were to stay away from. Everyone probably knows. It's a what? Pig, right? Pork. Super unclean. Um, we're not to go near it. We're not to eat it. No pig farming, right? Like, none of it. But right below pork on the list were animals with scales, reptiles, right? And birds. Unclean, right? That so unclean that if a Jewish, if a Jewish person touched them, if a Jewish person ate them, if a Jewish person was sitting at a table where other people were eating them, they themselves would be considered now unclean. I, am, I have defiled myself. I have, I have gone against this, this deeply held religious and cultural belief that all of my people have, and now I need to, I need to go through these proper steps of sacrifice and offering and ritual cleansing 
order to be brought back into right religious community with the rest of my people. And so when, when Peter was faced with this vision of, hey, Peter, get up, kill, and eat, and he saw reptiles and birds, his first response was like, Lord, are you out of your mind? Surely not I. He says in verse 14, I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. I am, there's no way that I'm going there, Lord. Not, not, a, not a chance. I would never do that. I'm a, I'm a good man. I'm a righteous man. I would never defile myself. I would never be, I would never be party to something that was unclean. Of course, verse 15, the voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. Okay, so. Why do we care what Peter eats and doesn't eat? We don't, really. Okay? We don't care what Peter eats and doesn't eat. We care about what lies behind or what lies underneath the reason that he's not eating. Right? What lies beneath? What lies behind? How, um, what he believes and what God is speaking to him, how they collide and interact with each other. Because it's going to make a difference here in just a few verses. Peter had a deeply held religious belief. You hear me? Peter had a deeply held religious belief, bolstered and supported by what he always believed and thought to be true about what God desired of his religious life. God desires this in my religious life. God, this is what God, this is what God needs of me. This is what God wants of me. This is what God desires of me. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. And I'm certainly not going to start now, Lord. Like, it was, it was so ingrained as a part of who Peter was that he could not conceptualize of the idea of doing anything else than the thing that he's always believed and held true to him. And he struggled to, to accept this vision that he was receiving. It's not like Peter just saw the vision, heard from the Lord, and then went away, went on his merry way, and was obedient. It was something that he wrestled with for, it seems, uh, at least a little while here, according to Scripture. It's not just something that automatically his mind was changed, and he started believing something that he's never believed before in his entire life. I mean, look at the Scripture and what it says. He struggled accepting the vision, even um, in his confidence that it was from God. If you look at verse 16, how many times did the vision happen? Three times. This happened three times. And immediately, the sheet was taking, taken back to heaven. Three times it happened. Three visions. And then it says in verse 17, what was Peter doing? While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, like, ah, well, you know, okay, so a uh, sheet with unclean animals, voice of the Lord, I've always believed and done this, I know, I certainly think that's always been true, always what God desired of me, but now I know that the Lord is calling me to do something, to be something, to take part in something that I always thought was just super dirty. Ah, I'm sitting here wondering about this, right? Verse 17. In the, meaning, in, the, in, the, in the meantime, in the midst of the wondering, Cornelius and associates, they show up at the house, right? They called out, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. Verse 19, had Peter, had Peter gotten, like, had he, had he come to a spot of, like, okay, I believe the vision now. No. Still, in verse 19, while Peter was, what? Still thinking about the vision. The Spirit 
said to him, Simon, uh, three men are looking for you. Get up, go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Now, Peter goes downstairs, okay? He meets the associates of Cornelius. They tell him why they are there. If you jump down um, to 22, we have come from Cornelius the centurion. He's a righteous and God-fearing man, respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to have you come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Okay. Right? Jump down to beginning of verse 24. The following day, he arrived at Caesarea. Cornelius, or uh, Peter did. And Cornelius, you want to talk about a man of influence, right? About a man who is excited to receive something from God and to not hold on to it all for himself. He wanted to take what God was doing in his life and he wanted to multiply it and magnify it in the lives of those he loved the most, right? Because he did, he did what? Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. Cornelius is so excited about what God is doing in him and in his life that he could, just, he could not help himself. He called together all of his relatives and all of his friends. And so when Peter showed up at Cornelius' house, as Peter entered the house... Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. Peter made him stand up. We talked about that already. Peter, talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. So it's obvious that Cornelius is excited for the arrival of Peter and wants the excitement of what God is doing in his life to be passed on to everyone that he knows. Uh, now, uh, Peter, uh, I mean, come on, bro. Like, not the greatest line of introduction here by Peter. All right? If, if, um, if first impressions are everything, Peter's was poor. Okay? Because uh, he walks in the house. The house, imagine this. You walk in the house, you're the expected, uh, you're the expected guest. Everyone is expecting your arrival. And you, uh, you walk in the house, you take one step in, you look, and the room is full. Right? Most normal people will be like, aha, great to meet you. Thanks for coming. Pleasure to meet you. Yes, thank you. I'm glad to, you know, I'm glad to be here. So on and so forth. Uh, so what does Peter say? He leads with this. You, uh, you're all uh, well aware that it's against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or to visit him. Um... Hi, I'm Peter. Just want to let you know, you're dirty Gentiles. I shouldn't be here. It's actually against um, my, my people's cultural and religious values uh, to associate with people like you. Well, <laughs> welcome. Right? Not the greatest lead-in, Right? Not, not, uh, not the greatest introduction by Peter. Here's the thing, okay? Listen, this is for us. That's Peter's story. That's Cornelius' story. But there's, this is for us, okay? If your deeply held religious belief... If your deeply held religious belief keeps and or prevents you from sharing the good news of Jesus with someone else, then you are not honoring God. If you have a belief that you have set your feet on for your entire life, this is what I believe and this is who I am, and this is what I stand for, and surely, Lord, I'm not going to eat that. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean ever in my life. And, and, and you, Gentiles, it's nice to meet you, but you're all dirty and defiled. Just wanted to let you know that. If your deeply held 
religious beliefs prevent or keep you from sharing the good news of Jesus Christ, you are not honoring God in your belief. Period. It's not that deeply held religious beliefs are wrong. Hear me when I say that. All right? I have some of the most deeply held religious beliefs that I think probably any normal person can have. There are things that I absolutely, 100%, without a doubt, that I set my feet down upon, and I, ref- I will not be moved from those things. Right? You could, you could not move me from those beliefs. It's not that deeply held religious beliefs are wrong. It's that every single one of our religious beliefs needs to be seen through the perspective of and filtered through the lens of God's redemptive purposes for the world in Jesus Christ. That, that every single thing that we hold deeply believing about God, about faith, about the Scripture, about the church, needs to be filtered through this comprehensive, holistic understanding that God's purpose in the world is to redeem the world to himself through Jesus Christ. And so that if our deeply held religious belief is somehow blockading the overall mission of God's redemption of the world through Jesus Christ, then you're doing it wrong, bro. You ain't got it right. It's not there. Last week, oh, last week we didn't talk about that here because I preached this at North. But if you were at North last week, you would have heard that in the life of Paul or Saul, right, that all of God's purposes for us all of God's purposes for you, all of God's purposes for the church revolve around Jesus Christ. That every aspect of our identity, every aspect of our life, every aspect of our mission, every aspect of our ministry, every aspect of our community of faith revolves around our purposes in and through Jesus Christ. And it's the same here. If your deeply held religious beliefs do not revolve around God's purposes of redeeming the whole world to himself through Jesus Christ, then you need to reevaluate what's important. Because you'll, you'll, you'll hold on like a death grip to a sinking ship that does not produce life. So, Peter walks into this house with all these Gentiles clinging to this religious belief that he's always had, that they're dirty, that they're defiled, I can't eat reptiles, I can't eat birds. He would hate Thanksgiving. Right? But look what happens. I only read part of verse 28. I'm sure you recognize that by now. You are well aware that it's against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or visit him. Look at this. Praise Jesus, right? But God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or unclean. Now listen, again, who cares, right? Okay, so Peter got it. What does it mean for us? Um, Well, in Peter's life, this is what had to happen. Um, Peter had to change before he could go out on any, in any capacity that would produce any fruit for mission. So before God could use Peter in this moment for his redemptive purposes, for God's mission in the world, before Peter could be used by God for his mission in the world, he had to change. Peter had to change. 
Peter had to let go of some things, right? Peter had to walk away from some things that were deeply held religious beliefs. And I got to believe, right? I, I just got to think that Peter, being a man and like being as much of a goofball as he was in the Gospels, that inwardly he was like, man, good. Mm. Really believe this still, Lord, um, but I'm um, revealing vision from you through your Holy Spirit that it's not as important as I thought it was, so I'm going to let go of how important it is to me because I know that your redemptive purposes through Jesus Christ are so much bigger than I could ever think, ask, or imagine. So, God hurts bad, but I'm going to let go of it. And before God could use Peter, he had to come to that point of surrendering the things that he held deep and strong uh, about his beliefs, right? About how he lived. I, but, but God has shown me, he says. Now, the question there then is, well, well, well what is it that God wanted to use Peter for specifically in this instance that he couldn't have used him for if Peter did not submit to change. If Peter was not willing to change, right? So if Peter, let's, let's play this game. If Peter was unwilling to drop his belief, he was like, nope, I know that this is what God believes, and um, come hell or high water, this is what I'm believing, and, um, and no one's going to move me from that because it's that important. What would have happened? Peter would have walked in that room with Cornelius and all of his family and then would have done what? Whoop! See ya. Going back home. But instead, we get a picture here of what God had planned and desired for Peter. So Cornelius is describing to Peter what happened, right? I had this vision and so I... I, I sent some attendants for you. Uh, verse 32 in chapter 10. Send, uh, send a Joppa for Simon, who was called Peter. Verse 33. Listen, this is it right here. <laughs> so I sent for you immediately, Cornelius said, and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Peter gained an audience with a whole room of unbelieving, godless people simply because he was willing to submit himself to the revelation of the Holy Spirit towards the redemption of God's purposes in Jesus Christ. He kept the main thing, the main thing. And because he kept the main thing, the main thing, Cornelius was like, I gathered all these people, and I'm really excited, and we're all here, and we're ready for you to tell us the thing that God has commanded you to tell us. And Peter's like, yeah, the thing that God commanded me to tell you. We have been wait, yeah, got it. Know exactly what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. So Peter, I got to imagine, was like in this moment of like, oh my gosh, what am I going to tell them? You think maybe that Peter had reflected in the last couple days of his life? Holy cow, you know that like awesome vision I had in the midst of prayer where the sheet came down and I was told to eat something clean or unclean that was clean and I was like, oh no, I can't do it. And I'm pondering and wondering and then Cornelius automatically and his friends show up and he's a Gentile and I come to his house and everyone's waiting for me and they're all dirty. I shouldn't be around them, but now they're asking me to tell them something and oh, what do I do? Verse 34. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. I now realize. I mean, you get the sense from Peter's life and the words that Peter used that there was a point in time where Peter believed uh, God shows favoritism. There are people that are God's favorites and there are people that are not God's favorites. 
out of his own experience and deeply held religious beliefs. Peter had to come to this realization that his view of who belonged in God's family was microscopic compared to God's. That Peter had just this little, just like this little, it's like Peter was looking through the keyhole to see who was, who was a, a part of God's family. Oh yeah, I, I see it in there. See all the favorites. And through this experience here of submitting to the vision of God through the Holy Spirit, of, of allowing the Lord to do something in his work, of, of going with Cornelius' attendance, about walking in this room, about, about hearing from, from the Lord, I now realize that instead of looking through the keyhole of the door to see who God's family is, God just wants me to open the door up. God just wants me to make a clear path. That, that God is not in the business of, of, of determining who is, who is favorite and who is not favorite and who is, ah, you're okay. And so uh, Peter goes, he continues on, and uh, he gets an opportunity to, uh, to share the gospel with them. He gets an opportunity in the, next, in the following verses, uh, verses 36 uh, through 42, essentially, uh, to share with them an abbreviated version of the ministry and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Everything that Jesus did, everything that Jesus was, everything that Jesus is, who God is in Jesus, how much God loves them through Jesus, Right? In verse 44, and while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. And the circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. You mean, wait, wait a second here. You're telling me that Peter held this deeply held religious belief that these people were dirty they would defile him, that he couldn't go with them or eat with them or even be in their home. And then all of a sudden, God is pouring out their Holy Spirit on these dirty people. That God makes his Holy Spirit available to these people without, they, they, didn't, they didn't convert, right? They didn't, they didn't change their habits right there in that moment. They didn't, they didn't, they didn't join Judaism, right? They didn't become part of Peter's in crowd so that they could receive Peter's gift of the Holy Spirit. That God went over and above the, the, the fear of Peter. The fear that Peter had about who was in and who was out. That, that God went through that and over that and around that and poured out his Holy Spirit on a group of people whom Peter would say, yeah. Peter was as shocked as everyone. I bet he was even more, maybe not shocked, but when he gets to, uh, in chapter 11, we see that not everyone is really excited about this time where the Holy Spirit was poured out and given to these Gentile believers. Now believers. Because Peter, in essence, got called into the um, Jewish principal's office. The apostles, verse, uh, chapter 11, verse 1, the apostles and the brothers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, you went into the house of the uncircumcised men and ate with them? What are you thinking, Peter? Explain yourself. And so Peter just flat out explains everything that happens, right? Verses, verse 4 um, through uh, verses 17, he explains what happened. I went, Cornelius came, I had a vision, he had a vision, I went, they were there, I preached the gospel to them. The Holy Spirit came down upon them. As I began to speak, verse 15, chapter 11, as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them as he had come on us at the beginning. And then I remember what the Lord had said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave the same gift as he gave us, 
to those dirty Gentile believers who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could oppose God? Mic drop. Story over. But maybe the better question is, why in the world was Peter brought into the principal's office? Why? Why do we do this? Why do religious people um, do this? That, that's, that's the main question. That's the question for the Jewish people here. Why did they do this? But let's not, let's not think too highly of ourselves, right? Um, why do we do this? Why would, be, why would we possibly be upset uh, about people who are not like us joining us? Now, I'll say, well, I mean, I don't, I don't I'm not like that. I, I don't do, I don't, I don't do that. And for the most part, I, you know, like I, um, I've been around churches for a long time, both in a just worshiping capacity, but also in a professional capacity. And I can say that Conduit does um, uh, a better job at this than any other church that I've ever been a part of or witnessed. Praise the Lord. Okay? Um, but to... Uh, but to think that it doesn't happen is, is foolish. Why does this happen? Well, I think it's a part of who we are as human beings, right? Um, everyone loves things that are exclusive. We all love things that we can exclusively belong to. We, we love we love the things that, that um, you, have to, you have to do something to be a part of it, right? You got you to gotta pay this due, or you got to make this commitment, or you have to change this, this thing, and, and you get to be with, with the people who have all, um, also made this commitment, or are also just like you, or are also doing the things that you, everyone... Everyone wants to be considered in, right? I've never met anyone in my life that wants to be like, ah, I don't want to be in. Nope. Don't want to be in. Everyone wants to be considered in. But you know what happens? It's not necessarily um, that there's something wrong with being a part of places that are exclusive. It's that it indirectly nurtures a spirit within us that there are some people who are in and there are other peoples who are out. We're in. By default, there's people that are out. You're not in. Where, where the, the witness of the Scripture here the, the ministry of Peter among Cornelius and his friends, his family, is like, now I realize that God shows no favoritism. That there's, it's not a, here's the people that are in, and, and here's the people that are out. It's, it's this vision of the kingdom, okay? It's, we're the people that are in, and there's a whole bunch of people who are not yet in. Here, we're the people that are in, and we're working like crazy through the power of the Holy Spirit in the mission of God to redeem the whole world to himself through Jesus Christ, to engage with people who are not yet in but are going to be in soon. 
We believe by, we believe by faith that, that um, it's not a matter of in and out. It's a matter of in and not yet in, but boom. Oh my gosh, the Holy Spirit's working on them, and we're working alongside the Holy Spirit, and we're going to do everything that we can to make sure that, that we have created an environment and a place here in this building and over at north at 358 5th street that that when a person walks into our midst and they don't look like us they don't talk like us they don't speak the same language they don't eat the right foods their kids don't act like our kids they're just so completely different right that they don't feel like they're part of the out crowd they feel like They've been waiting at the door for them, and we've been anticipating you coming. We've been expecting you coming. In fact, we saved a seat for you. We prepared this place especially for you because we now realize that God shows no favoritism. And it's not just about us who have created the space. It's about us who are maintaining the space so that you have a place to come. And so exclusivity has no place within the kingdom. The other reason that we do this is because we all like to be comfortable. I mean, think about who your friends are. Think about who your people that you love to spend the most time with. They like you. They're like you. You have things in common, right? In general, they look like you. They act like you. They eat the same things that you do. They enjoy the same things you do. Your your kids get along, right? within reason, right? They're generally the same type of people as you are. Why? Because it's comfortable then. It's like, it's not hard work to be together. It's the, it just happens all on its own. It's like, oh man, this is just easy. It's easy to be friends with them. It's easy to enjoy their, their company. And I got to imagine that um, these, the Jews in chapter 11 were thinking like, oh, holy cow. Like, ah. Uh, the involvement of Gentiles here into this, the way, like the belief of the, the, the being a disciple of Jesus, being a Christian, they're into the church, like, ah, it's going to get so uncomfortable. They're going to bring like, I mean, they're going to bring like bacon to the potlucks, and they're going to invite us over to Thanksgiving, and, right, and they don't even know the Torah, the book of Genesis, like, ah, they're not going to know about great father Abraham and all of his sons, right? And so there's this sense of like, man, we're going to lose all comfort. It's going to be so different than the way it always has been. So not everyone was willing or excited in embracing this. Now, here's the, here's the, um, I think it was Shakespeare that said, here's the rub, okay? Here's the, here's the friction. Um, I, I love preaching, right? And I love um, the engagement the spirit has between us when you know the preacher is preaching and the word is going forth and the spirit is moving all around and he's doing awesome things right and 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 the preacher is preaching and and everyone's like yeah yeah pastor no favoritism god shows no favoritism i agree yeah uh, right i get it okay i believe it um um, didn't we just get done saying how dangerous just deeply held religious beliefs can be? The church, listen, the church does not exist simply to hold deeply religious beliefs. It does not exist to simply be a bastion of intellectual theology. Oh, we believe these things. It is a torch by which we light the darkness of the world. Uh -uh. It informs what we do 
It informs who we are. But listen, if, if you do not bridge the gap between your theoretical, deeply held religious beliefs and your practical life, you don't truly believe it. Don't, don't tell me that you are like, yeah, God shows no favoritism, right? If you have no willingness, no desire, no plans to practically engage people who are not like you for the purposes of their redemption in Jesus Christ. Don't nod your head and say you agree. Don't shake your fist in solidarity. Like, I am, I am buying it. Like, it just, it doesn't compute. The things that we deeply hold, right? The things that we truly believe, the things that we're going to shake our head in agreement with, and yeah, no, God shows no favoritism, but that we're, we're not going to let the, the Spirit of God plant that within the praxis of our lives. You don't believe that. And so the church, the critical, the critical mission of the church is to bridge the gap between what we hold to be true about who God is, that he shows no favoritism, right? And the practical implications of what that means for our community life together. Otherwise, we're just like what Paul says, we're just a clanging gong, we're, we're, a re, we're a resounding gong or a, or a clanging cymbal that, that makes a lot of loud noise, but in the end doesn't really, doesn't really fix or change or, or, or affect anything. And, um, I want to tell you, um, I want to I tell you about the way that um, Conduit is seeking to bridge this gap between the deeply held religious belief, God shows no favoritism, right? And the practical, what in the world does this mean for us? Okay? So, I know a lot of you don't go to Conduit North, and um, that's all right, you're lost, but um, just kidding, just kidding. Seriously, though. Um, uh, but, but one of the things that we've been praying about in that particular portion, uh, in that particular neighborhood, is um, is how do we engage? How do we engage a community that looks so radically different than the people that are sitting here with us? Because the north side is different than the south side. It's different than the west side, east side, or wherever. Right? It's different. There are there are different people there. That's a different. Um, it is a different lifestyle. There, there's a s- extremely high population of um, Hispanics on the north side. There's an extremely high population of people who have no, who own ho- no transportation, right? So everywhere that they go, they walk. And if they, if they can't get something within a reasonable walking distance, they go without. And I'll tell you, on the north side, if you're hungry and need to go to the grocery store, it's a long walk. And so you usually end up eating at like um, the 7-Eleven on the corner of 6th and Main, or you eat at Sammy's Pit Stop down on the corner of 2nd and Windsor, or you, you get what you can where you can get it. And you, you, you normally live in, in uh, or you, you, you can live or have the tendency to live in, in abject poverty. And in most cases probably aren't employed. And, and if, I'm gonna be, if I'm being perfectly honest with you, this is for most of us sitting in this room, um, these, this is um, uh, a community uh, who's different from us. We're, we're just... It's different. And so we held an event um, during Thanksgiving, I Am Loved event during Thanksgiving on the north side um, to give away uh, full, full Thanksgiving dinners. You were a part of this. You guys were awesome, right? 
community of God truly rose up in response to this need. And um, in response to that need, we, we fed over 1,600 people for Thanksgiving. Tons. Awesome. Awesome. Right? It was amazing. Amazing. And, and you know what? Um, you know how I know God was in it? And God did it? And God brought those people and like, that it was all God? is that normally for I Am Loved events, Conduit as a whole does a really good job marketing, advertising, getting the word out, and they get a good response. We get a good response. Um, marketing, advertising, all this was primarily my responsibility as the pastor, host pastor there. Um, learning curve, I did a horrible job. Okay? I did a bad job. Bad job. We were overwhelmed with people. Overwhelmed. In fact, we had to do like two makeup days to get all the people food who needed and wanted food that came for food. We had to do it like two more times. But in the course of um, the worshiping community at Conduit North, 1,600 people got fed and... Um, I'd have been happy with like a 1% return on worship attendance, right? Zero. Zero people. I'm thinking like, ah, okay, God. What's the, uh, what's the deal here? Where, like, what am I, what am I missing? What, 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 what am I missing? And it's the, it's the perspective that um, we, uh, uh, a come with a lot, uh, at least I did, is that, um, and I'm grateful that the Lord is changing my heart, like he changed Peter's heart, is that there's this, there's this bait and switch that happens, like, here's your Thanksgiving bag, now come to church, right? I have something for you, now you come and do something for me, right? And there's this mentality that still exists of exclusivity of we're going to do this for them. Like, everything, like, we're going to do this for them because, um, because they're so down on their luck and it's just such a, it's a hard knock life, right? And, um, and we're going we're gonna to do it, we're going to do it for them. Now understand, like, we're nuancing this a little bit. Like, yeah, we are going to do it for them, right? Like, the church is going to seek to provide um, for the basic needs of those who have them. But we began to ask the question of what do we do, right, to destroy the gap that exists between Conduit North and the community that we're involved in? How do we, how do we end the, um, the, the habitual patterns of the church in America by, by seeing the, the community around us as them and seeing us as us and them and in and out. How do we change this? How do we engage them? How, how can we be for them who God desires us to be for them in his redemptive purposes in their life? Because um, to be perfectly honest with you, there are so many things that they don't have and so many things that we do have, but, but, but the reality is it's not about what they have or don't have economically or socially or emotionally or whatever, and what we have that can fill that gap. The reality is, is that we have the very thing that they need. And it's not always just about the food that's on their plate. Well, actually, it's never about just the food that's on their plate. We have what God has given to us by faith in Jesus Christ, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in us. We have that, and we can give it to them. And so here is what we're proposing to do. We're not proposing that we're doing it, okay? Here's what we're going to do at Conduit North. I want you to be a part of it. I so want you to be a part of it. 
Because, like, I'm so, I'm, I'm so, like, committed to breaking this, the, the stigma and filling in the gap that exists between the community and the church that I'm going to cancel church at Conduit North once a month. We will not worship in a traditional sense or in a traditional way once a month. The last, we meet on Saturday nights, the last Saturday of every month, we're going to close the sanctuary doors, we're going to go into the really nice, well-equipped kitchen and fellowship hall at Conduit North. We are, with our own hands, going to prepare a meal, right? And just like what happens when you are a host and invite someone over to your home, uh, we are going to be hosts for our neighborhood. Michael, well, how is that going to work? Listen, I have no idea how we fed 1,600 people for Thanksgiving, but I know it happened, right? So I know if, I, if we even do a tenth, right, of the poor advertising we did for Thanksgiving— we will fill the, sanctuary, or fill the fellowship hall time and time and time and time and time and time again. That ain't going to be hard, right? But listen, when you invite someone over to your home, what do you do for them? I mean, like, you meet them at the door, right? How are you doing? It's good to see you. We were expecting you. They can smell the food that we've been making for them all day long, right? We take their coat. What can I get you to drink? Here, have a seat here. Tell me about your day. What's your name? How are your kids? What are they up to? What grades are they in? What are they doing in school? Hey, little Bobby, tell me about soccer. What's going on? You engage them on a real and authentic level to get to know who they are as people, not who they are as targets. As 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 people we just want to come to church, right? So committed to this, um, we are. It was like, well, we could do it on a Saturday and then just have dinner before worship and hope people came to worship afterwards. We're like, you know what? Um, I'm not even going to let my soul go there. There's no way. A radical invitation to radical hospitality so that, so that we can, can serve them and engage them and love them and feed them and get to know their stories and laugh with them and cry with them and embrace the messiness of what is absolutely going to occur because, right, these Gentiles aren't like us, right? They don't talk like us. They don't speak like us. They don't eat like us. Their kids aren't like us. It's not like us. It's going to be weird. It's going to be uncomfortable. And it's going to be like, ah, ah, I don't like this. I don't want it. And it's going to be beautiful. And it's going to be beautiful. Because when we take radical steps of action that allows the Holy Spirit to move, He changes our hearts and he sanctifies our vision and understanding of gospel community. But we must take the step. We must engage the mess. We must embrace the understanding that Peter embraced here in this time. Now I realize God shows no favoritism. I want you to be a part of it. There are going to be lots of ways to be a part of it. You're going to hear so much more about it in the next coming weeks, I promise you. We're going to need people to actually like come and be and like serve and sit with people and get to know them and then come back, right? And serve them again and get to know them again and again and again and again and again. And guess what? We're canceling church once a month. I still need you to tithe. On that, even on that week that we, we go, oh, yeah, church is closed. I got a week off from tithing. Um, please don't, right? I love you. Thank you. Attentive to the word of the Lord. Thank you for being attentive to his spirit. Uh, let me pray over you as
Father, I pray um, the movement of your Holy Spirit among and in these people now, Lord, that you um, would plant this word deeply within our souls, that we would be people who are eager to embrace the movement and revelation of your Holy Spirit over and against our deeply held religious beliefs, Lord, and our deeply held religious beliefs are preventing or blockading us from realizing your redemptive purposes in the world through Jesus Christ. 